Good morning, church. And good morning, those of you both in this room and online. It's great to begin a new year with you, to celebrate uh, a new year with you. I know, and we're talking about that this morning. If you saw that last slide, it's sort of a one uh, sermon, a one Sunday sermon series, what we've learned in 2020, what we've learned in the year that was. I think we're all looking forward, I can say, to this past year being behind us and looking forward to a new year. It's been a very hard year, harder, of course, for some um, than others. But I think it's been difficult for every person, really, um, in our congregation, in this community, perhaps in our world. You know, some of us have lost people that we love. We've lost them to the coronavirus. Certainly many of us have lost contact. I know I have with some people that I love. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost their, um, you know, their, their income. Some people have lost their, you know, missed their wedding or postponed it or missed their graduation, high school and college graduations. To say nothing, of course, of the political unrest of the last year and the racial divisions, many of these things that continue. But all this time, in this world full of so many changes and suspensions, uh, you know, there's the gyms are closed, and there's the movie theaters are closed, there's no live sports, there's no live music, yet somehow through it all, you know, the liquor stores <laughs> remained open, okay. But what have we learned in 20? There's a lot of places I could go, and I thought about this for some weeks, a month or so, uh, for a text, but I just decided to go to just one verse this morning, a single verse that I think captures this idea, answers this question perhaps better, better than any other or as good as any other. It's from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 54 verse 10, which says these words, though the mountains be shaken... And the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. My covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. I think the learning that is perhaps above all other things that we have learned in the year that was is that we are not in control of our lives. Okay? We are not in control of the world that we live in. Now, for, for some of us, for a lot of people in the world, this is not a revelation, okay? We are not in control of our lives, right? I mean, there are people, you know, all over the world that, that don't have, you know, running water long before 2020, do not have 24-hour electricity, do not have, you know, food security in the way that you and I think about it, but... For some of us, right, in, in, in a very affluent culture, in a very affluent country who thinks that most problems can be solved through some kind of knowledge or some sort of exercise of power, I think this idea comes as a shock, right? We are not in control of the larger world. We are not even in control of our own lives. None of us here, I think I can speak, uh, I'm not the oldest person in this room, but no one in this room 
has experienced the, what we have experienced on the scale that we have experienced in the last 12 months. As of, you know, the most recent numbers in America, over 350,000 people have died uh, as a result of the coronavirus. That's more people that died in all of the wars of the 20th century. The World War I, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, Afghanistan. All of those wars together are less than that number. The only one that rivals that of World War II, which is just around 400,000 people, Americans, and it's very likely we will pass that number by the end of January. None of us on a scale have experienced as Americans, or as perhaps any uh, nationalities, but certainly Americans, what we have experienced where the schools have been closed, right? Not for a weekend, but for virtually from, from elementary all the way through college, for the most part, have been closed for the better part of a year. Whole sections of our economy has touched many in this room. Sections of our country shut down still to this day. And, of course, widespread fear that happens even within families. See, at 9-11, and those of you whose memory serves, you were alive or remember 9-11, that great tragedy, which was massive and, and a big deal in our country. But 9-11, we could, we, the enemy was somebody else, in a manner of speaking, right? We, we, we projected all of our anxieties and fears and, and energies towards this sort of outside enemy. So people came together, you know, right and left, and, you know, black and white, and, you know, rich and poor, different socioeconomics. We, we were united by that tragedy, in a manner of speaking, against this other enemy, but not so much here, right? People are divided. Even within families, people are divided with fear in this issue. I got a letter from a friend in this church, a guy I've known for many years, about a week before Christmas along these lines, said these words. Considering the year that is 2020, I was reminded of how little control we have of our lives. Our job, business, vacation, wedding plans, our health, all has been set on the edge of uncertainty. We don't know what to expect and if any of these things will last. Our instincts tell us someone or something must be to blame and we feel the need to fix it. But what if this is not true? Okay, I would suggest to you it's not true, right? There's no one to blame. There's no singular person to blame. And we can't fix it, okay? We can't fix this situation. The, the, the mountains have been removed, the shaken, excuse me, the hills have been removed. You don't fix that kind of problem. You humble yourself before it and acknowledge that you don't have control, we don't have control, and that only God does. Okay, But you know, as Christians, if you're a Christian listening to me here this morning, this idea, right, none of us could have imagined on the scale of what has happened. It is still happening in our culture today. As a Christian, it shouldn't be a shock to our system. Listen, it shouldn't be a surprise to our faith. A biblical worldview, if you hold one here today, 
if I hold one here today, a biblical worldview is a world that says that the world is at war with itself. It always has been. A biblical worldview says that the world that we live in has been cursed by sin, that the world that we live in, the Bible talks about the God of this world, okay, speaking of the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of people. This is a biblical worldview to the truth, including this truth, that you do not have control of your lives. The great prophet Jeremiah, to show you how old this truth is in the scriptures, chapter 10, verse 23, okay? Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps, okay? This is old wisdom. Do you know that? Do I know that? People's lives are not their own, right? It is not for them to direct their steps. Listen, by all means, we need to follow the coronavirus guidelines. We're doing it here this morning. By all means, we need to pray for and work for the peace in our cities. But we are not in control of the world. Listen, we are not in control of our lives. We never were. You never were and maybe some of the reason or one of the reasons that some of us are emotionally and physically exhausted in the year 2020 is because you've thought that you were in control of your life we are not in control of our lives the mountains have been shaken the hills have been removed but this passage has something positive in it as well the most important thing in life has not changed right though the mountains have been shaken and the hills have been removed yet my unfailing love okay has not been shaken my covenant of peace has not been removed The question this really gets at is this. The the, the most important question that you need to ask and I need to ask is, is God's love at the heart of your experience? Because if it is, then this control thing will be, um, you won't struggle with it the way that you have or that I have. The question this passage asks us, maybe this moment, this was my question for this morning, my most important question that is this, is the unfailing love of God, okay, the unshakable center of your life, right? Is the unfailing love of God, what does that mean, unfailing love? Well, it's, it's said for a purpose. It's not just used here in, in, in the 54th chapter of Isaiah. God's trying to say something that's qualifying about his love. Saying, listen, your love... Rob, your love, friend, your love fails, right? Husbands and wives, parents and children, commitments. Your love fails. So often your love only goes so far. Often your love retreats, retracts, completely fails. But God's love at the heart of his commitment to us, at the heart of his covenant with us, verse 10, never fails. This is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. This is really what's supposed to be at the center of your life. But this is the question. Is the un 
unfailing love of God, which hasn't changed, right? Even though the mountains are shaken, even though the hills have been roofed, these are metaphors for impossible things, things that you never dreamed would happen, not just the coronavirus, the loss of life, the loss of a job, the loss of an income, the loss of your health, whatever the case may be. That should never challenge the unfailing love of God in the question, is it the unshakable center of your life? Because just because I'm a Christian, just because you're a Christian, does not mean that God's unfailing love is at the center of your life. Isaiah 54, I chose this passage, not just for this verse, but really for the whole chapter, which I'm not going to read. But it is, it is both poetry, of course, but it's also scripture. And what the writer is doing, Isaiah in his day, he too is writing to a people whose mountains have been shaken, whose hills have been removed. What Isaiah is writing to is a group of people. His congregation is on the verge of going into exile. So you know the book of Isaiah. So they've had this beautiful experience, Israel, but it's coming to an end. And they've been very unfaithful and everything is kind of turned upside down. And in the writing and the preaching of the book of Isaiah, you can almost hear the, the wheels of the carts, the wheels of the chariots of the Babylonians coming to cart off the people of God and bring them to Babylon to, let a, to light a torch on the temple, their sacred space, which in a few uh, seasons would be burnt to the ground. And there's no changing this plan. Right? The prophets have said it. The Lord has set it in motion. And it's about to happen. Their mountains have been shaken. Their hills has been removed. But he writes this beautiful poetry. Okay? Much of the prophets are in poetry. Why poetry? Why it's confusing? It's not confusing. Because it brings out even greater truth. It's more concentrated. It's more beautiful. Yes, you have to look at it. Yes, you have to spend a little time on it. But the truth it communicates is is very important and it's done and what he's trying to say to this congregation is listen I want to tell you though the mountains are shaken though the hills have been removed there are some things that have not changed listen carefully just a couple verses of Isaiah 54 it's poetry but powerful truth sing barren woman Isaiah 54 1 You who never bore a child burst into song shout for joy you who were never in labor Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Verse 4. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. What's he saying? In these verses, you could read the whole chapter. He's saying, listen, he's writing to this community, but of course he's going to, he's going to use an image that would be very, very um, um, accessible to this community, the idea of a barren woman. And their origin story, their George Washington story, was Abraham and Sarah. They all knew that. That was the story that founded the nation of Israel. And God, in his wisdom, to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his love, to demonstrate the fact that Though the mountains are shaken and the hills have been removed, right? That God's love and God's power can do what nothing else can do. And he comes to this man who's at the end of his life. He comes to this woman who's far beyond the years of having a child. He says, listen, out of you, I'm going to birth a nation. Oh, barren woman, you shall sing. Because more will be the children 
of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, right? And one of the things that would be true of barren women, certainly in that day, but true in ours as well, is of that barrenness brings shame, verse four, brings disgrace, and it brings humiliation. You know the story of the woman at the well, right? Who, would, who only went to Wegmans in the middle of the night because of the shame and the humiliation of the disgrace. The same was true of Sarah. But God says, listen, although the mountains have been shaken, Although the hills have been removed, although this very beautiful temple is going to be burned to the ground, there are some things that will never change. My love will never change. And the barrenness of exile will be overcome. The Apostle Paul, if you're a note taker, just write down Galatians chapter 4. In the Apostle Paul, 700 years later, he's writing to the church in Galatia, the book of Galatians, a church there in, in that part of sort of, you know, the Central Asia. And he's writing to this church. And that church is a bunch of people, kind of like me and many of us, who were not Jewish, who for, for generations had to stand outside the, the, the store window and looking into the temple of Jerusalem, looking into the people of God of the Old Covenant, and they were not allowed to be a part of it. They could just sort of watch it happen at a distance. And finally, in Jesus Christ, the glass is broken, the, the veil is ripped, access is given to people who never had access. And the Apostle Paul, in explaining this amazing truth, and Galatians 4 comes to Isaiah chapter 54, and he says, you want to know what's happening? Sing, O barren woman, you who never had a child. Burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, you who never were, were, were invited to the party. Because more are the children of the desolate woman, that is the church of Jesus Christ, than of her who has a husband. Okay, that's what's happening. What's the point? If you're a Christian here this morning listening to me, you only become one, one way, by a supernatural birth. Oh, barren woman, you who never bore a child. A supernatural birth based on the unfailing love of God that nothing in this world can take from you. Romans chapter 8, listen carefully. Same truth being said to this congregation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Why ask that question if there weren't people who were saying, I can tell you what's going to separate me. Cancer is going to separate me. Divorce is going to separate me. The economy is going to separate me. You know, the, I can hear the taps. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, Famine, nakedness, danger, sword, loss of an income, loss of a job, the coronavirus, as it is written. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a Bible way of saying the mountains have been shaken. right? The hills have been removed. However, no, the answer to the question, verse 37. In all these things we are getting by. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, are you? Okay. Is the unfailing love of God the unshakable center of your life? Or is it just something that's sort of also true? And the, really, the, the, the thing that's at the center of your life is not the unshakable love of God. It's the anxieties and the fears and all of the foolishness and all of the worry that is true in most other people's lives around you. 
Just because you're a Christian does not mean that the unfailing love of God is the unshakable center of your life, okay? In all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who love us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read an article uh, two weeks ago around, uh, from, it was an interview in a magazine, um, relevant magazine with, with the pastor and author Rick Warren, if you know him, pastor of a church in California. And they were, the reason they came to Rick Warren is because 12 years ago, um, Rick Warren um, invited the presidential candidates of the time, Barack Obama and John McCain, to his church, can you imagine, on the platform and had kind of a civil discourse in a couple successive weekends about the issues of the day. And they were basically bringing him in and saying, Pastor Rick, you know, um, in all that's happened, this, this interview was just done, I think, in December, you know, in all that's happened, is it possible that this kind of civil discourse is even, it would even happen in our cultures? This is what he said. I don't want to sound super spiritual, but the only it's only going to happen when there is a revival in our hearts. I honestly think that the COVID-19 could be one of the precursors. People don't come back to God in good times. Go read Judges. Go read the whole history of when things are bad. Then we come back to God. Okay? It's only going to happen when there's revival. Let me say a few words about revival. I don't know if you've been in church a long time. What is, what is revival? I, I agree wholeheartedly with what uh, Pastor Rick is saying here. But it's important for us to understand. What's my key question? Is the unfailing love of God the unshakable center of your life? Let me tell you what revival is. Revival is not when lost people become saved people, when people who are spiritually lost convert and become Christians. Sometimes we think that's what it means to a revival. Let's have a revival meeting. Invite of all our non-Christian friends and lost people become saved people. That's not the definition of revival. Revival implies that you were once alive. You're being revived. Revival is when Christian people, saved people, reorient their hearts and they come back to a place where the unshakable love of God or excuse me, the unfailing love of God becomes the unshakable center of their lives. That's when revival happens, okay? That's when revival happens. And that's what it's gonna take if we're really going to turn things around and put God back in the center of our lives and we can then be the kinds of people in the kind of church that's called to make a difference in a world where the hills have been shaken and the mountains have been removed. I, I have these guys working on my house doing a bathroom. And about, I don't know, not even two weeks ago, I came home from the end of the day. And this one guy was left. He was kind of cleaning up. I came and kind of cleaned him. I, you know, just, you know, getting my act together and made a little something to eat. And I thought we were going to sit down for what I hoped was, you know, a 10-minute meeting. You know, just kind of wrap up the day. And we sat down and he began to talk and ask some questions. He's a, not a Christian man, not a Bible-believing man. I've known him for many, many years. We've had many conversations. And he has some very unusual beliefs and very you know, strange beliefs. And, and, uh, but we, we just started to get into it. But we went places driven by him that we hadn't gone before. 
about God, about the coronavirus, about what's really going on in the world. And it was, he was keeping it alive. I, I, I literally, I, we, we sat down early evening. All of a sudden I looked, I see half a sandwich. It was 12.45, right? I kept thinking, this is gonna be over. I'm gonna be able to finish my sandwich. At 12.45, I finished my sandwich. At 3.45, we finally never left our seats even to go to the bathroom. At 3.45, we finally decided it was time to end our conversation and go to bed. Now, here's the interesting thing about that conversation. I didn't, there's nothing that I said in those many hours that I could not have said, would not have said 12 months ago. Nothing new. The most important things in life have not changed if there was ears to hear it, okay? But for him there was an interest that there wasn't before. The most important things in life haven't changed. Have they changed for you? Is the unfailing love of God the unshakable center of your, lives, of your life? If it is, then all is well. If there is, then you can go out with confidence into this world and live the way God has intended you to live. But if not, here's my application, okay? For those of us, I think all of us, for whom the answer to that question is not so much. We need to release control to God and experience the true rest and true freedom that is offered to us as followers of Jesus. My friend, his letter goes on to say this. What if God allows things to happen to deepen our trust? and uses a crisis like 2020 to help. Worldly success and failure are both imposters if we allow them to define us. 2020 and all the chaos it caused should give us ample reason to know we are not in control and we need to turn to the one who is. Okay? What's he saying here? Simply saying this. He's talking about an understanding of reality. Right? The world is not a, a, um, a neutral place. If you just go along in the world, if I just go along in the world, right, check my news feed and watch my TV shows and, and do my thing, you're not going to have a biblical worldview. You're not going to wake up knowing that you are not in control of the world. You are not in control of your life. You're not going to think that. You're going to go on thinking that you are in control of your life and that you are basically managing the things of your life until all of a sudden one day you walk up in that hill in your backyard, it's gone, right? The, the, the mountains have been shaken. The hills have been removed. And all of a sudden, you're set back. And all the anxiety and the fear that is filling the hearts of many people, it's filling yours. But see, that shouldn't, it doesn't have to be the truth. It's talking about an understanding of reality, one that it's a daily acknowledgement that the person, the only person in control, not only of the world events, but of your life is God, right? If we strive to control our lives, and it's, it's human nature, it's natural, right? You have to have a supernatural experience, a daily surrender, right? Romans 12. That has to be a daily exercise for you or you, your natural inclination. My natural inclination is to try to manage my life. Right? Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct ourselves. That's not common sense. Okay? We wake up thinking otherwise. 
But if you strive to control your lives, listen, you will lose them, you will waste them, okay? You need to learn how to release control to God daily if you want to experience the life that you were meant to live. This is the real meaning of Jesus' words. You've heard them many times before, Mark 8. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What's Jesus talking? He's not talking about physical death. You know that. He's saying whoever wants to make their managing of their life their primary occupation, whoever wants them to try to control their life and spend all of their best energies worrying and, and thinking and contemplating or just being anxious, you're going to lose it. It doesn't mean you're going to die and go to hell. It means you're going to waste your life. That's what he's talking about. Wasting your life, wasting the gift that you've been given on foolish and wasteful, anxious living. That's what he's trying to say. But whoever, it's a choice, Christian, loses their life, kill yourself? No, is that what he's talking about? Whoever's willing to let go of this foolish way, this natural inclination to want to control things, to want to manage things, to want to pretend this illusion that you have control of your life, right? If you're willing to lose that, you have to do, that's every day. I encourage you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, your, your lives, a living sacrifice, a metaphor right you put your life down say this this is not mine it's yours i'm not going to pick it back up right and do not be conformed to this world right that says that you are in control of your life but be renewed by the transformation of your mind then you'll be able to know god's perfect will for your life then you'll be able to live with a kind of freedom and the kind of sense of um of, of of joy that you don't have today that's what jesus is talking about so let me just say this. We're going we're gonna to share in this together as a way to perhaps reorient our hearts, right, in life when we think about trying to bring back the unfailing love of God as the, as the center of our lives, the unshakable center. But let me give you a couple things to apply. Just quickly, I'm going to do this in a, in a minute or two, and I'm going to say to you, if you would say to me, Rob, I'm not sure that the unfailing love of God, okay, that's a big word, is the unshakable center of my life. In other words, what does it mean? Unpack that for me, Rob. I don't live out of that, right? As, as, as things come into my life, as, as mountains are shaken, as hills are removed, as disappointments come, as things that were up come down, do I, is my natural resource to be anxious and fearful, angry, to be blaming? Or is my net, do I live out of the love of God. That the real thing below the, everything else in my life is the unshakable love of God, right? Well, if that's not true for you, if that's not true for me, if the, the, course of, the events of the last year has shaken you, then here's some ways you can apply it as we prepare for this quickly. First one, grieve your losses to God, okay? Why do I say that? Because see, some of us in this room haven't been touched by a death in your family, haven't been touched by even a serious coronavirus in your family. Some of you, myself included, have not lost your job. Some of you have actually made a little more money in 2020 than you did the year before, for some. In other words, you haven't had those kinds of losses, but we've all experienced some losses, 
right? I haven't seen my father, my stepdad, face to face in nine months. That's a loss. And see, some of us are so prideful. We're so, my life isn't as bad as others. We hold on to those losses. And when you do that, you're keeping yourself from the unfailing love of God being the center of it. It's time to grieve those losses. Is it okay to grieve losses before God? Oh my goodness, have you ever read the book of Psalms? <laughs> of course it is. Grieve your losses before God. Spell them out. Get on your knees and talk to God about them and allow God to minister to you and minister to me. We've all experienced losses. Second, you need to repent of your worldly thinking. What do I mean by that? For your worldly thinking, it means thinking and somehow some of us thought that the American dream and the Christian life were one and the same thing. Or that suffering, if suffering comes into your life or suffering comes into my life or suffering comes into our experience, that somehow we've done something wrong. Where did you get that idea? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to this big, long um, litany list of things that don't. Look what he says in the middle of it, if you're were, if you were paying attention to the Romans 8. For your sake, we face death all day long. This is a, he, he sneaks in a quote from the book of the Old Testament, from the Psalms. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, what you think, what an odd thing to say. What he's trying to say is, listen, even in the midst of this affirmation that the love of God is at the unshakable center of my life, I'm going to be real that the mountains have been shaken and the hills have been removed. All day long, we are like sheep that are ready to be slaughtered. Of course, suffering is real. What planet are you from? Do you have a biblical worldview? The world is at war. We live in a sin-cursed world. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them who believe not. Of course, the world is going to be upside down for you and for me. But this thing, Paul says, nevertheless, I'm convinced that none of these things should shake my life. You need to repent of your worldly thinking because it's keeping you and keeping me from experiencing the love of God. See, you're, 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 whole, you're, you're, you're sort of blocking it out, right? Just like not grieving. You need to be open and honest about these things and realize that all, what God has promised you is the unshakable love of God. Listen, he's, he even says it. The mountains will be shaken. The hills will be removed. There will be more deaths in this. There will be more losses in this. And it will happen more in your life. For your sake, we are like sheep to be slaughtered all day long. But my love is unfailing. It will never be shaken. You can count on that. And my covenant of peace, which is what the, the, the love of God brings to you, that covenant, it's a strong word, that promise of peace will not be removed. Nothing can, can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? Repent of your worldly thinking. Okay? That's what we're going to do. And lastly, inventory your faith. If my life has been significantly challenged, I'm talking about my peace, my joy in 2020 as a Christian, then it's an issue of my faith, okay? Just because you're a Christian does not mean that the unfailing love of God is the unshakable center of your life. You know that, okay? You have to participate. And some of us 
you know, we need to inventory our faith. We need to put our, I'm talking about the practice of our faith needs to become more central. If I could give you one thing, one piece of advice, you've heard me say this a hundred times, get into the word of God. We just started doing this, uh, the Bible reading plan if you don't have one. Genesis, Matthew. I read a chapter of scripture this morning at 7.30. You go, Rob, you're the pastor and you're getting ready to preach and you need to read a chapter before you come to church? Absolutely I do. Because the mountains have been shaken and the hills have been removed and, the, and that process isn't finished. You need to inventory your faith. I need to inventory my faith and say as, I, as we prepare, what what is actually standing in my way for the unfailing love of God to be the unshakable center of my life? Is it that I'm not willing? I haven't been grieving to me long. I've been holding on to losses for nine months, six months, three weeks. It's time to grieve your losses before God. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. Second, you need to repent. What does that mean? Change your mind about your worldly thinking. You are a Christian, but you, you, you live and think like someone who's not. Okay? Repent of this worldly thinking that you have and that I have. And then inventory your faith. And, to, and remove whatever's standing in the way between a more full expression and experience of God's love. Make the love of God the unshakable center of your life. That's what this is about. So, just break this tip. You know how to do this, I think. If you pull the transparent piece off okay you have a piece a a, a small thin wafer in your hand on the night he was crucified or the night he was arrested should say the day he was arrested the day before he was crucified Jesus sat together with his followers you know this and it was it was not it was he transformed one thing from one thing into another It it was a Passover meal they did it every year. It was like Christmas. Right? And they, they got together every year and Jesus said, I'm going to give new meaning to this. Okay? The birth of the church. He said, he passed the bread, but he said, listen, this bread, this is going to represent not the bread from the Exodus. This is going to represent my broken body or my body that will be broken. Right? For you, in a, in a real way, in 24 hours on the cross, right? And this represents um, the, the greatest demonstration of God's love, right? Let's, let's eat together. supper was ended he took the cup of wine also part of the Passover meal and he said I want to give new meaning to this as well this represents the new covenant the new reality the new plan the new agreement in my blood that is going to be shed for the sins of many The reason that I can stand here today, a sinner, before you and say, the unfailing love of God is the unshakable center of my life is because 
of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you want to change your mind and heart in 2021, you need to, in a manner of speaking, start every single day with a reminder, right, of what God has done for you, what God has done for you, and learn how to live out of it. Let's drink together. let you out and uh, pray let me say two things as we start this year but also of course start this month we have um, a mercy offering you guys gave even in such a time as this 2020 over I think $100,000 in this mercy offering which is not for paying a bill of any kind it's going to people in need. So I just want you to know that and, that and that you can do that today on your way out if you want to participate in that. And there's um, receptacles for these as well. Father, thank you for this morning. We, we just come to you, humble hearts, hungry hearts. And Lord, I pray for me uh, and, and for this, my church family and friends, Lord, that you would help us. May there be revival in our hearts today. May we, Lord... Um, grieve our losses. May we repent of our um, worldly thinking and may we inventory our faith such that the unfailing love of God would become the unshakable center of our lives. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.